0: The Lord be with you. Three weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to Jerusalem. And there I got to go see the most sacred church in Christianity, which is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Let's see if I can get it to work. Nope. Kai, can you get me to that first picture, please? There we go. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the reason why this is the most sacred church in Christianity is because this sprawling complex contains within it both the place where Jesus was crucified and the place where Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. And so when you go inside the church, oh man, it worked five minutes before worship started. When you go into the church, you can see this stone. This stone is Golgotha the rock on which Jesus was crucified. And when you go upstairs, you can go above Golgotha and you can look down upon it. And underneath this altar, there is a hole in the ground of the chapel and you can reach your arm down through that hole and you can touch the very rock where Jesus was crucified. And in addition to the place where Jesus was crucified, there is also this tomb. Now, if you'll notice you can see the dome of the whole church. And then underneath the dome, there is a smaller building. And inside that smaller building is the tomb where we believe Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. And because this church contains these sacred places, this church has been the center of the Christian faith for 1,700 years. As soon as Constantine made Christianity legal... Constantine sent his mom, Helena, to go figure out where these places were, and when she said, well, best guess is it's here, Constantine built this church. She so like said, Constantine worshipped in that same space. The Crusades, in large part, were launched initially so that Christians could safely worship in this place. Right? The story of Robin Hood is the story about how Robin Hood has to fight against the evil tyranny of King John, because good King Richard is gone. Where is good King Richard? He is fighting in the Holy Land for the right of Christians to make a pilgrimage safely and worship in that very place. When the Crusades failed, St. Francis of Assisi left Italy in the 1300s, and he met individually with the Sultan who ruled there, and he convinced the Sultan that these Franciscans were good, humble people. They weren't a threat, and he earned the right through his kindness for Christians to worship there in a way that Christians, through their violence, couldn't achieve through the Crusades. Pope Francis has worshipped there. Pope John Paul II has worshipped there. Every single Christian who can throughout history has tried to worship in this place. And because it is so sacred, every single denomination of Christianity wants a piece of it. Now, there's not enough for every denomination to get a piece, so currently there are six denominations that all claim a chunk of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's, of course, the Roman Catholics, there's the Greek Orthodox, there's the Armenian Orthodox, there's the Coptic Church, the Ethiopian Church, the Syriac Church. I can explain to you the differences between these churches, but it's so minute and so dumb, you will not believe me, And so let me summarize it by saying this. They speak different languages. They had different political borders. And so they said, we're having our own church. That's basically what it comes down to. But how do six denominations run one single church building? Not very well. There's different chapels assigned to each denomination, but sometimes the tension grows between these denominations. So uh, there was an instance in which uh, the, the Greek Orthodox and the, and the Roman Catholics literally got into a fight over who got to sweep a certain step. Yes, this place is so sacred that monks are literally fighting each other over their right to sweep a step. Within the 21st century, a Coptic monk had his chair in the sun, and saw that there was some shade a little further away. And so he said, well, I'll move my chair into the shade. An Ethiopian monk saw him do that and said, he's taken over our territory. He started a fist fight. People went to the hospital over this. I think to me, there is no greater sign of the division within this church. Let's see if I can get it. Okay, Kai, if you can get me to the next one. There is no bigger sign of the division within this church than what is known as the immovable ladder. So, uh, this is a picture of the entrance to the church. You can see Cindy Kampf right there at the very bottom, Lynette Stensrud's on the far right. But if you look above them, there's two windows. Can you see those two windows? If you look at the window on the right, just below it, there's a ladder. Can you see that ladder? We've got a close up. Here we go. It's called the Immovable Ladder. Why is it called the Immovable Ladder? Because in the 1700s, when the Ottomans ruled this portion the Ottomans were getting super annoyed that the Christians who kept worshipping here were fighting each other. And so the Ottoman sultan said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with an agreement about who gets what part of the church, and we're all going to live with it, okay? And so the sultan hashed out an agreement, and basically the agreement came down to whatever part of the church your denomination has right now, we're going to leave it that way, and we're going to leave everything exactly as it is in 1757. Guess what ladder was leaning against that window in 1757? The immovable ladder. For 300 years, that ladder has not moved because the peace between Christians depends on its staying put. Division within the body of Christ is not new. We see the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth because there is division within the church of Corinth. Some people say, I belong to Paul. Some people say, I belong to Apollos. Now, who's Apollos? The book of Acts tells us he is a man who is very learned when it comes to Scripture, very talented when it comes to rhetoric. He is someone who has persuasive teachings. When it comes to Jesus, and apparently Paul started the church here in Corinth and then he went off to start a church somewhere else and Apollos showed up and followed in his footsteps. But Apollos was teaching slightly differently than Paul and so the church has split into factions over the interpretation of Scripture. And here's the deal. So long as our relationship to God is based on an object, be that object a place, or a piece of paper, we will fight each other to control it. I'm going to say that again. So long as our faith, so long as our relationship to God is based on an object, be it a piece of paper or a place, we can control objects, and so we will fight each other for control of those objects. Now, I say this without any disrespect to the holy places, or to the sacred scriptures which are written on pieces of paper. Last week, we heard Jesus say that not one letter of the law will pass away, that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in a few more chapters, we will hear Jesus say that the fulfillment of the law is loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and also to love your neighbor as yourself to get us to that understanding of the law, today Jesus is going to help us understand that to love God is not to love the piece of paper that God's commandments are written on, but to love what those pieces of paper point to, which is loving people. So Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said in ancient times by Moses and written down in the Torah, you shall not kill. And most of us here today say, hey, we're doing pretty good. I haven't killed anyone today. Yes! And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait a minute. Are you just looking at the letter of the law or are you looking at the spirit of the law? Because God wants you to ask, hey, am I actually trying to help my neighbor have life? In my heart, do I want my neighbor to have the fullness of life? Or am I secretly hoping that my neighbor is going to get hit by a bus as they walk home? Right? Are you a monk in Jerusalem who says, I love Jesus more than anything. I love worshipping in this place where he was crucified and buried. But if that other guy moves his chair over here, I'm going to punch him in the face. Hasn't killed him, so maybe didn't break a commandment, right? No. Jesus says, if you want to love God, don't love the piece of paper. What it says, love what it points to, which is the person. And Jesus takes it farther. He says, You've heard it said in ancient times, thou shall not commit adultery. And once again, most of us can wake up this morning and say, great, I haven't cheated on my spouse today. I'm I'm doing wonderfully. But Jesus says, hey, are you just looking at the letter of the law or are you looking at the purpose of the law? Because the purpose of the law is to teach you to focus all your energy on on loving, on creating desire, on caring for your spouse and, and not putting that energy into focusing on someone else. So are you a monk in Jerusalem who says, I love Jesus so much, I want to sweep the very steps on which He walked? Or are you instead saying, you know, I want to try to sweep that guy's step? Jesus says, "It's not we love God not by loving the piece of paper but by loving what the paper points us to, which is the person. And then Jesus goes on to talk about divorce. And in, ancient, uh, in, in, in the Torah, it tells us that men, for any reason, if their wife displeases them, can request a divorce. Just the men can ask for this. And the deal is they have to write a piece of paper out, a certificate of divorce, to get that divorce. And the reason is because in the ancient world, marriage was not a relationship of romance between equals, it was an economic relationship in which the man had all the power and the woman was dependent on him. For a man to divorce his wife meant that that woman suddenly had no economic opportunities, at least none that we would not politely call adultery. And so men were told you have to write a piece of paper so that that woman has an opportunity to get remarried. But Jesus says, just because you have that piece of paper doesn't mean you can start throwing wives away. Right? Just because you have a piece of paper doesn't mean you can treat a person like a tissue paper, something to be used and thrown away. Conversely, Jesus says, like what King Herod has done, right? King Herod has just convinced his brother's wife to divorce his brother and marry him. Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. right? Just because you both got a piece of paper saying now you're eligible to be married doesn't mean you haven't done something wrong by breaking up someone else's marriage and ending your own. Just because you have a piece of paper doesn't mean you're right with God because when God tells you to love, God wants you to love not the piece of paper, but what the piece of paper points to, which is the person. And if it's true with a piece of paper, how much more so is it true with a place? Jesus tells us, you've heard that said that you should fulfill the oaths that you swear. But Jesus says, don't swear any oaths at all. Don't say, I'm going to do this, I swear it by heaven. I'm going to do this, I swear it by the earth. I'm going to do this, I swear it by Jerusalem. Jesus is telling us, do you think God cares that you're honoring those places by keeping your word? What God cares about is that you honor the person to whom you have given your word. Does God care more that you honor Jerusalem than that you honor the person in front of you? No, it is in that person in front of you where God is honored. So let your word be yes, yes, and your word be no, no. Don't swear by anything outside yourself because you yourself and the person in front of you are the most sacred spaces that God desires. Thank you, Franklin. I love when people actually talk back with me. This is great. And to say the same thing Jesus tells us about taking an offering to your altar. So, in ancient times, if you wanted to make peace with God or you wanted to give thanks to God, you would go to the altar in the temple and you would offer a sacrifice there. But Jesus says, before you take your offering to the temple, if you know... That your siblings, your sister or your brother, has something against you. Go first and be reconciled to that sibling. Then go and take your offering to the altar. You think God cares about the way you honor that piece of stone? No, God cares about what that piece of stone points to, which is the people. Honor them first. Make sure you are reconciled with them. And then you will know you are reconciled with God. It's not, you love God not by loving the place, but by what the place points to. And I will tell you, in Jerusalem, in that church of the Holy Sepulchre, what that place pointed to was not just Jesus' death and resurrection. What that place pointed to were all the people from all over the world who gathered in that place. I'm going to see if I can get a next photo. There we go. So in the church of the Holy Sepulchre, we saw people From every continent in the world, we saw people who were speaking Spanish praying the stations of the cross. We saw people from Africa singing hymns of praise. We saw people from countries in Asia doing things I completely did not understand, but it was clear that they were worshiping God in some way. On this journey to the Holy Land, my mom, who comes from a village in Mexico that has approximately 5,000 people, it's called Sinapecuaro, while my mom was traveling in the Holy Land, she met four people from Sinapecuaro. I got a picture of them here. Let's see. Oh, can we get our next, our next slide? There we go. Right? She ran into them in the town of uh, Caesarea, and then we just kept running into them place after place, including at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, because this place is designed to bring people together, to point us to the fact That we are one body across the whole world. That's what this place is trying to point us to. And as I looked at all these different people speaking languages that I didn't understand coming from cultures that made no sense to me expressing their faith in ways that were definitely not the way I expressed mine. In that moment, I was humbled. Because Jesus has called me to love these people also. And I honestly don't know how. And I think that, more than anything, is what Jesus is trying to get across in his Sermon on the Mount today. Jesus deepens each of these Ten Commandments, not so that we have more reason to condemn all of ourselves to hell, but to humble ourselves, because if the commandments for God are simply, don't kill anyone and don't cheat on your spouse, well, maybe we can get through life doing those things. But Jesus tells us, no, there's so much deeper than that. There are questions about your heart. Is your heart open to loving God and your neighbor? Are you seeking the life of your neighbor? Are you seeking the fulfillment of your spouse? Are you seeking to be faithful in hardship? Are you true to your word? Are you loving God through loving your neighbor? And the honest truth is, every single one of us falls short. I know I have. By ourselves, we cannot do these things. So praise be to God, we do not do them by ourselves. After describing the conflict in the church of Corinth between people who side with Paul and people who side with Apollos, Paul writes, Who is Apollos? What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I, Paul, planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. To say, each and every one of us have different needs, have different ways in which we hear God's Word, different ways in which we express our faith. No one person can express the truth of God's love perfectly to everyone. And so Paul, in this moment, instead of saying, I'm better than Apollos, Paul says, you know what? Maybe God used Apollos in a different way than God used me. Because maybe God needed me to plant, but God needed someone who had the skills to water to water. But at the end, it was God who gave all the growth. And so as I looked at that Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I wondered. I wondered about the Ethiopian shrine. And I thought, well, maybe there are people who need to be swept up in the bright colors And I looked at the Armenian section where there were candles that you could light and offer up prayers against a beautiful mosaic. And I thought, maybe that's what speaks to somebody's soul. And I looked at the Roman Catholic section, which is above Golgotha, and I thought, maybe there are people who need to see gold glittering in the candlelight to to understand God's greatness. And then I thought about, all the Protestants who were wandering through there too. And I thought, you know, maybe there are people who need Methodism to inspire them to live a more holy life. Or maybe there are Presbyterians who need a church structure to give them order. Or maybe there are people who need Lutherans to tell them that God's love and grace is unconditional. Maybe God has assigned to each of us a portion of the body of Christ to care for and minister to because no one of us can care for all these people together. And I realized then that so long as our relationship with God is through an object, be it a piece of paper or a place, we will fight each other for control of that object. But as soon as our relationship becomes about knowing God through loving our neighbor, then suddenly we work together to love our neighbor. Because when our relationship to God is through our neighbor, we realize that we by ourselves don't have what we need to love all of our neighbors, but perhaps together we do. Perhaps the Christians in Ethiopia and the Christians in Russia, perhaps the Christians in South America and the Christians of Chico, each have a gift that they can give. Perhaps we can each be part of the body of Christ. We can each work together to plant and to water. And when each of us ultimately fails, as Jesus reminds us today, we will. Perhaps we can remember that at the end of the day, it's not our work that gives the growth, it's God. God. And we can come together to give thanks for that. Amen.